as we continue to worship, I want to remind you of something. The Bible says, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so we worship today and we will continue to worship. But today in song, we were reminded that we can pant after God, go after God as a deer pants for the living water. We were, were reminded that God does not change, that he's available. But I want to make sure that we pray on those things that we may have come in with that we've been burdened about. Again, his house is a house of prayer. Some of you have also said to me, Pastor, this series has been heavy because it's pulled some things out of me that I didn't even know was there. And it would be nice if we just had a moment to just kind of lay before the Lord, talk to the Lord about some of these things. So I don't know if you're going through things at home, in your body, with your finances, in your soul. I just want to pray with you, for you, and over you as your pastor. So if there's anyone who feels a nudge to pray, just would you come stand here at the altar? Would you just come? And let's have a time of prayer. As you talk to God, as we talk to God, and as I cover you in prayer. Come now, everyone, remain standing, remain standing, because even if you don't come, you still stand in need of prayer. But this is for those who, ah, Lord Jesus, you've got to take it. You've got to fix it. You've got to do it. I need you now. The Red Sea is in front of me. Pharaoh is behind me. But you are with me. I need you, Jesus. And I love how God bestows grace to the humble. That when we humble ourselves and say, God, I can't do it. And he says, I know you can't. But take a moment and talk to daddy. Talk to that good, good father of yours. I know you've been praying, but let's, let's have this moment at the altar. To say, dad, here we are. Talk to him. Father God, we pause to be still and be reminded that you are God and we are not. Selah. 
pause, meditate on the goodness of the Lord. Father, you are perfect. Your ways are perfect. But we are imperfect. And we live in an imperfect world with other imperfect people and imperfect systems. And sometimes, Lord, we get down. We get discouraged. We get reports from doctors. We get reports from bosses. We get reports on the news. And sometimes we can forget that you are a perfect God with a perfect love that casts out all fear and perfect ways even when things kind of get out of the way and when trouble comes and our faith is being tested but one thing about you is that you stand strong you are the rock who will not roll you are stable you are a firm foundation as our sister said today Lord lead us to the rock that is higher than I Jesus is the rock He's also the rock that can provide water when we're in the desert. Well, for those in the desert today, Jesus, not only will you, I'm asking, would you be their stability, but would you be their refreshment? Would you anoint their heads with fresh oil today? Might their cups overflow? Would you fill them with the Holy Spirit? Would you return their joy? Would you give them that song, even if they got to sing it in the night? Would you remind them of who? they are and whose they are and if you be for them be for us who or what can be against us father we're not trying to overcome to get the victory we overcome because you overcame and we have the victory you got up on Sunday morning and because you got up on Sunday morning we can have joy in the morning joy that is not based on our circumstances joy that is not based on our feelings joy that is not based on what's going on around us but is something going on inside of us something that the Holy Spirit is doing this joy that will be our strength the peace of God that will surpass our understanding faith to know that God will come through because you're rarely early you're never late but you're always on time so we will wait on the Lord we will wait on the Lord and we will be of good courage and we are confident to know that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and Lord when I can't see what's in front of me let me just look back and see how good you've been for me in the past you've opened up doors that no man could shut you shut doors that no man could open you've been a faithful God you've provided my daily bread you've stretched me but you've never left me you've stretched me but you've never forsaken me so this time is not different whether it's a marriage whether it's my mind whether it's my finances whether it's my health no matter what it is you know what we need before we ask of you but God we're asking so that we can say that we ask we're asking and we're asking in the name of Jesus the name that's above every other name the name that makes demons tremble God we're coming to you as our strong tower saying Lord just look this way Lord just stretch your hand this way do the impossible in our lives God get the glory in our 
situations and we promise to give you all the praise. We promise to give you all the glory. We're going to praise you on credit even if we don't have what we're waiting for. We're going to praise you in advance because we know that you're a good, good father and we thank you that you are the air that we breathe. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Forgive me for complaining. Forgive me for cussing and compromising. Forgive me for wanting to give up. Oh God, you are the air that I breathe. Without you, God, I would have nothing. For it's in you that we live and that we move and that we have our being. Oh God, have your way. Fill us up, oh God. We empty ourselves of ourselves. Fill us up, oh God. And we thank you for being a very present help in our times of trouble. The devil is a liar. We thank you for being a very present help in our time of trouble. We believe. And where we struggle, help our unbelief. We're going to go back to our seats now knowing we placed it in your hands. We're going to go back to your seats now saying, it's out of my hands. It's in your hands. As a matter of fact, I am in your hands. I don't control anything, but you do. You reign. God, we sang it. Now it's time for us to believe it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, hallelujah. You may take your seat. And as you go, give him some praise. Hallelujah. This is a house of prayer. So get used to that. Y'all, we have so much life in this church, so much going on, that we try to, fit inside of an hour and 30 or hour and 45 minutes and it's not easy but we're going to have church whenever we get together you're just not going to come to church God wants you leaving knowing that you've had church that you met him in his house yeah he's everywhere but something happens when the body gets together when God indwells the temple when we can bear one another's burdens, when we can look around and see we're not by ourselves, we're not alone. Amen. So turning your Bibles to the book of Leviticus chapter 18. If you're just visiting with us or you're watching with us online, we're closing out a series this month called Sexual Healing. The first thing that was noticeably affected when Adam and Eve disobeyed and ate of the forbidden fruit, the first thing they noticed was that they were naked. Not that they were separated from God, but that they were naked. And since then, we've all dealt with a, a marred sexuality, an imperfect sexuality. And it comes at us in various ways. But the point is, we need Messiah. We need a Savior, and we have a Savior who will walk with us through our sexual struggles. We have a Messiah who will help us answer our sexual questions, and he will empower us to deal with our sexual temptations. He, he's with us. He, he walks with us, and he talks with us, and he strengthens us, and he heals us. So for me, it hasn't been easy to teach this series. And I would imagine it hasn't been easy for some of you to listen to this series. But just because it's not easy, that doesn't mean it's not necessary. It has been necessary for us. And in an age today where 
the world is like the last verse of the book of Judges when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. The church, the body of Christ, the people of God need to know what God says definitively and objectively. We need to stand on that. And when he gives us opportunities, we need to share that. And so one of my roles as a pastor is to teach sound doctrine, sound doctrine. Because we're in a world today where even Christians, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, as we get to the end of the days when, before the Lord comes, even Christians will not endure sound doctrine. But they're going to look for teachers who are going to tell them what they want to hear as opposed to what they need to hear. And because I fear God more than I fear any of you, I have an audience of one, and I'm going to teach and preach what he tells me, even when it's not popular in the world today. But I hope you get a word that will not only heal you, but that will also help set your doctrinal understanding at a clearer place. So Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 reads, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. So let's talk on the subject of, is it abominable or acceptable? Abominable or acceptable? One of my favorite pastors, and I have many favorite pastors. I, I love preachers. I love pastors. I love listening to the word of God. And I have uh, people who pour into my life from all over the country. They may not know me, but I know them. And one of my favorite pastors was recently on The Breakfast Club. He was a guest of Charlemagne the God, Angela Yee, and DJ Envy. Uh, one of my favorite pastors was on this global platform that is hosted in New York City, and they brought him in. He, he leads a mega church. He's well-known, and they brought him in to just answer a couple of questions. And Charlemagne began to ask questions about social justice, and this pastor, who's one of my favorites, began talking and sharing about the Christian's uh, uh, call to be active in society, to do what is right, to do what is just, to stand up for the needy, the broken, those who are in despair. And this church has wonderful, wonderful outreach ministries into the community, and they are about the work of justice. So that was his sweet spot, and he began to talk about that, and it was a wonderful time. I'm listening, I'm learning, I'm taking notes. And then Charlemagne asked him about his views concerning homosexuality, and what did he have to say concerning that? And this pastor, who's one of my favorites, has said, the Bible has been misused. It has been misused so as to hate on those in the LGBT community. That's what he said. He said the Bible has been misused. And he went on talking about the importance of context. But he said the Bible has been misused to hate on people in the LGBT community. He went on to say that those who stand against homosexuality, that they cite only eight verses at the most, eight verses that they can look to 
to build their case against homosexuality. And then he said, well, you know, because the, the main message of the Bible is love. But there are Christians who grab just eight verses and they camp there. And the meanwhile, they're hating on people of that community. As I told you, this is one of my favorite preachers. And if I were on that show or if someone asked me my opinion, I would say I respectfully disagree. I would say that I respectfully disagree with your position. Now hear me, Strong Tower. Although I disagree, I still listen to him. Not I, I, I used to listen to him. No, I still listen to him. We disagree. And although I disagree, I still read his books and I have many of his books. And although I disagree with him, I will still visit his church when I'm in his city. I still love him, but I just see things differently. And I hope there's space in the body of Christ to see things differently. And for me, if I were on the show or if he and I had a talk and he talked to me about there are only eight scriptures that would speak against homosexuality, I would say to him, well, how many is enough? How many is enough? Because if you're counting verses, that's really bad hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of interpreting the Bible. There's a way to interpret the Bible. And, and we look at context and we do count scriptures at different times if we're trying to build a quote unquote case. Because repetition often means emphasis. And so I would ask, well, how many is enough? Uh, is it 10? Is it 15? Is it 20? And do you use this rule or standard with other subjects in the Bible when you're interpreting it as well? Or are you just using it with this one? But then I would also ask that pastor that I love and respect, I would say to him, can you share with me one scripture from the Bible that does clearly support homosexual activity? You said that those who come against it have at least eight, and I've never counted. I don't know how many there are. But can you share with me one that clearly says that God supports homosexual activity? I'm not talking about the vagueness of love. I'm not talking about something you're trying to read into the Bible between David and Jonathan. No, I'm asking you to show me something clear from Scripture that God is in support of homosexual activity. And here... At Strong Tower, if I am your pastor, I'm not asking you to blindly agree with me on anything I teach, yet alone about sexuality, whether it's fornication, adultery, homosexuality, which this whole series has been about. I'm not asking you to blindly agree with me. I am asking you to study. I'm asking you to study the word so that you may show yourself approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what I'm asking you to do, to study. Because if the word can be divided rightly, it can also be divided wrongly. 
And when we come to the word with presuppositions, with biases and slants, which we all have, we just got to be honest with them. We got to step back and say, the word must examine me. The word must tell me what it says as opposed to me trying to read into it what I want it to say. But I just want you to study if I'm your pastor. If I'm your pastor, I don't want you to blindly agree, but I do want you to respect how the house teaches, the, the position that the church takes. And I want you to know that maturity is found in the fact that we can agree to disagree in an agreeable fashion. Because we've had people over the years who've come in and they believe this and they believe that, but we always tell them, you can have your beliefs. We're not here to tell you that you can't, but would you respect the house? Because the house was teaching a particular way before you came. There's only one savior. His name is Jesus. He didn't send you to this church to save the church with your position. I remember somebody came one time speaking against rap music that God can't use rap music. And they came into our church and they tried to give videos to people and tell people to look at this and listen to this guy because God can't use rap. Bro, you in the wrong church to come up in here talking about God can't use rap because God used rap to get me right with him. God used rap to call me into the ministry. God used rap as I did ministry. But you're coming in with your belief and that may fit somewhere else. But respect what the spirit is doing in this house. And in this house, we teach certain ways and certain things. Doesn't mean that we know everything. Our goal is to have sound doctrine that can be proved from scripture. I'm just asking you to be like the Berean believers. When Paul, the apostle, would teach the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 12, when they heard Paul... They said, okay, that sounds good. But they went and studied the word to make sure that the things he said were true and consistent and found in the word. That's how we ought to be as Berean believers. We test the spirits because a lot of false prophets and false teaching have gone out into the world. So the way you test spirits is not based on how you feel. It's not leaning on your own understanding. You test the spirit with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So that's what I'm asking you today. Man, don't blindly agree, but study. Be like the Bereans and test the spirits. I have three questions today that I will move through as quickly as possible. The first question is, what is an abomination? We read it from Luke chapter 8, I mean Leviticus 18.22. We're going to answer that. Number two, why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And three, will homosexual behavior ever be acceptable to God? Let's go with the first question. What is an abomination? Well, Leviticus 18.22 shares with us that if a man lies with a woman, uh, with a man as... A man lies with a woman. Excuse me, let let me go back. Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. So men having sex with men, it is an abomination. Then it's followed up again in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. So whatever an abomination is, it's serious business. The book of Leviticus is about holiness. It's mentioned upwards of 90 times in the book of Leviticus. The word holy, the word holiness. Why? Because God said to Israel, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy, and I expect for you to be holy. To be holy means to be set apart, to be distinct, to be unique. 
And so God expects for his people to be holy. When he saved them and called them out to be a nation, they were different from the other nations in that they had a moral code, the Ten Commandments and even the other laws, but they also had one God, meaning monotheism. So they worshiped one God as opposed to other nations worshiping many gods, and they had a moral code as opposed to the other nations having no morality or very little. And so when he called them, they were to be a distinct, peculiar, unique, and holy people set apart unto him. And this word abomination in the Hebrew, to'eba, it means something that is disgusting. So when you see abomination in the Hebrew language, this word means something that is disgusting. Something that is repulsive, vile, abhorrent, nasty, and loathsome to God. These things are vile to God. They are abhorrent to God. They are nasty to God. They are repulsive to God. But the question is, are they repulsive and abhorrent and nasty to us? Or do we just accept these things? Well, stay with me. Don't change the channel. Same-sex intercourse is not only an abomination in the eyes of God, but it can also warrant judgment, judgment, because God is holy. And as a result, he punishes sin. If he doesn't punish sin, that means he is not holy. But because he is loving, he sent his son to take our punishment for our sins so that we can be forgiven. But the wrath of God is still being stored up. We'll talk about that next week when we get into Romans 1. And God must discipline and punish sin because he's holy and he is just. Yes, he's merciful, but he's also just. And so when you read verse 13, it talks about the man sleeping with another man. The Bible says that the Jews were to execute justice in that situation and execute those people. Now, we're not under the law anymore, so thank God for that, that we don't have to be executed, nor do we need to walk around trying to execute people, as I've heard some pastors in recent times talk about. That's not our role. No, we're in the age of grace. We're in the dispensation of God's grace. But that will run out uh, right around time Jesus comes back. But we're in this dispensation of grace. And when you look at the Old Testament, people will say, we're not under the law anymore. So Pastor Chris, why are you preaching from Leviticus? Paul said we're not under the law. Well, be careful again how you rightly or wrongly divide the word of God. Because in the Old Testament, there are 613 laws that the Jews were given. Uh, uh, those laws are broken up into three categories. The moral law, the ceremonial laws or the priestly laws, and then the societal laws. As the church, we're not under the societal laws that God gave to Israel pertaining to their diet, the clothes they wear, and on and on. And we're not under the ceremonial laws that they had in terms of going to the temple and worshiping God and all the things they had to go through. But we are under the moral law, those Ten Commandments. And nine of the Ten Commandments, with exception to the Sabbath, keeping it holy, nine are found in the New Covenant or the New Testament. And when Jesus said, hang the whole law on love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. And so when I love God, I'm fulfilling the first four commandments. When I'm loving my neighbor, I'm fulfilling the next six commandments, and which also talks about sexuality with specificity by way of adultery. So we're not under certain aspects of the law, 
But we are under the law of morality as God's people because the same command in Leviticus about be holy, Jesus quotes in the book of Luke, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. So Christians are to be holy people as well. So an abomination, man, it's something that is disgusting, repulsive, vile, abhorrent, nasty, and loathsome. But again, hang with me, please, as we get into some sound doctrine. Secondly, why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, those two twin cities that sat uh, to the deep south of Israel. Why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, Genesis chapter 13, verse 13 says, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So they were wicked. Uh, uh, let, let me say it again. They were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Genesis 18.20 says, and the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave. So all sin, first and foremost, is against God. We sin against God before we sin against others or ourselves. And, and, and the Bible says there was an outcry coming before him concerning the sins and the wickedness of these two twin cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, that they were exceedingly wicked. So to make a uh, long story short in scripture, God met with Abraham and he said, man, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? Because I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. Abraham knew his nephew Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. So he asked God, would you destroy uh, 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 the, the, the wicked with the righteous? And God says, no. Uh, and so he says, uh, if there were 50 righteous people, would you destroy the city? God said, no. And, and Abraham worked God all the way down to 10 because he assumed that uh, Lot and his wife, their children and their, their, his uh, sons-in-law, that they were right before God. And so the city would be saved. But there were not 10 righteous in the city. So two angels went into Sodom and Gomorrah in order to rescue, pull out Lot and his family, and then to rain fire and brimstone on the place because of their exceedingly wicked sins. Again, this is judgment that comes from God. He has the right to judge whenever he wants or however he wants. We can't tell God how to be God or when to be God, but we better submit to God and repent to God. And so here they are. The two men show up in town, and uh, they're fresh meat. It's quiet in here. I hope y'all are thinking. Uh, uh, they show up, two new men. Lot sees him because he's sitting in the gate of the city. And he says, uh, y'all better come with me quickly. Uh, uh, and they said, no, we're going to stay out here and sleep right here in, in the gate. And he was like, no, no, you don't want to do that. Come, come to my house. So he takes them into his house. He feeds them and all that good stuff. But the word circulated around the city that two new men were in the city. And they came and they surrounded Lot's house. And the Bible says there were old men and young men. They surrounded the house and said, we want those men. Bring them out to us. As a matter of fact, look at Genesis 19.5 from the NIV. They called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Pretty bold, right? It's a bold spirit. A whole community of men saw two men. They didn't know those men were angels. They just thought they were men. Again, fresh meat, if you will. Bring them out. We don't care whether they want to have sex with us or not. Bring them out. So speaking of, they're going to force themselves 
onto and into these men. This is vile. This is abhorrent. This is repulsive. This is disgusting, and it's in the Bible. Somebody say, preach the Bible, pastor. I'm preaching the Bible. But hang with me, hang with me here. Because the prevailing practice of Sodom was apparently sodomy. This has caused some people who I love, some people who I disagree with, but in dialogue with them, they come to the conclusion that sodomy was the sin here in Genesis, not consensual same-sex relations. So they will agree that, man, sodomy is wrong, but not consensual same-sex relations. And to that, I say, where does the Bible say that? I know what society says, but where does the Bible say that sex between consenting adults is acceptable to God? I know it's becoming more and more acceptable in society, but where does the Bible say? Because there's no way to follow Jesus and say he's first and his word not be first. Because you're going to follow Jesus, you got to follow his word, the word of God. But what happens is we follow Jesus and we come up with our own word and what we want to say. Oh, I got to keep going because time is running away from me. So whether it's predatory or consensual, same-sex relations is an abomination in the eyes of God. Same-sex relations, whether it's predatory or consensual, it's an abomination. It's not right. It's loathsome. Okay, you don't believe me? Ezekiel chapter 16. The prophet gives us another perspective of what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning at verse 49, it says, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter, speaking of Gomorrah, uh, uh, they had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Do do, do you see this here? So what were their issues? What were their iniquities? We see, obviously, there were some social injustices going on in Sodom and Gomorrah whereby they were neglecting the poor, abusing the poor, not serving the poor. They were haughty. They were proud. Now, now, is America in the Bible? But anyway, they, they were haughty. They were proud. And all of those things were going on. They were full of food while others around them were poor and needy and needed to be strengthened. And so some will read the text, depending upon what persuasion they come from. And they'll say Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of social injustice. Because, you know, man, there's nothing wrong with being a social justice warrior. For Jesus, Jesus and justice go together. But that's just not the whole of the story. Because verse 50 says that they also committed abomination before God. And we just saw what abomination was in Leviticus 18 and in Leviticus 20. Men sleeping with men. We've read about that in Genesis chapter 19. Men wanting to sodomize other men. It's an abomination. So some who come from another perspective will only see verse 50. 
and talk about abomination and homosexuality and all that stuff, but you can never get them to see nor talk about nor act as it pertains to social justice. And the ones who see social justice and the need to do something in society hardly ever see verse 50 as it talks about morality. I just want to know who sees both. I want to know who sees uh, 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 societal injustice and who sees sexual immorality. I want to know who sees verse 49 and verse 50. Because if your politics guides you, you're only going to see one verse over the other. But if the Bible is the word of God, you're going to see both and you're going to have to say both and you're going to have to stand on both. That's Strong Tower Bible Church. Don't try to make us be what you want us to be. We're going to be what God wants us to be and what God's word calls us to be. And so God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Thirdly and finally, will homosexual behavior ever be acceptable to God? Well, based on the few verses, I don't know if it was eight, but based on the few we just read, what you think? When the plain sense makes sense, Seek no other sense. Just let God be true and every man a liar. But that means we got to adjust. We got to adjust to God because if God ever accepts homosexual intercourse under any circumstance, that means he's changed. And if God is changed, that means God ain't God. Oh, you didn't hear me. Malachi 3.6, God says, I am the Lord your God and I do not change. Methods change, but he does not change. He's still a holy God. You see, we love the fact that his love don't change. Oh, thank you that your love don't change. We thank him that his mercy don't change. It's new every morning. Thank you, God. I got up this morning, got some mercy. We thank God that his grace never changes and never runs out. But when we start talking about holiness, all of a sudden now somebody changed. Either God changed or we changed. Guess who changed? It wasn't God. It was us changing the word because we refuse to change the way he's called us to be. Fornication will never be acceptable to God. Neither will adultery. I know couples who are married to each other, but they believe in homosexual practice. But my question is, do you believe if your husband said, baby, uh, can I bring another woman home and let's make this a trio up in here? All of a sudden now, no, we don't do that around here. At least I hope you would say that. So you have some morals, you have some guidelines, but on this one, you want to change the rules. You want to switch books, and you want to grab something that somebody wrote as opposed to what God wrote. And, 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 And it will never be acceptable. Incest will never be acceptable. Bestiality will never be acceptable, and neither will homosexuality. But the question is, why is it so acceptable to us as God's children? I know we don't want to hurt people. We don't want to let people down. We don't want to offend people. They're our family. They're our friends. They're our co-workers, man. We don't want to offend them with truth. But this is the thing about truth. Truth, when it's spoken in love, is still offensive. And truth confronts each and every one of us. But thanks be to God, Jesus is not only full with truth, he's full with grace. So when the truth breaks us down and exposes our brokenness, grace builds us up, edifies us, cleanses us, and empowers us. That's Jesus operating. My God. And I just want to make it very clear. 
The last sermon I'm going to preach on this series is that all are welcome to come to Strong Tower Bible Church. Any and every sinner is welcome to come. God welcomes all of us to come to the Strong Tower, which is him. But he does not welcome us to stay the same. Because if we're in Christ, we're being transformed. Oh, that, that's the last sermon this month. But, 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 but I want it to be known. Let it be said, because people may twist it. Let me make it unequivocally clear that God loves homosexuals and so does Pastor Chris. God loves homosexuals and so does Strong Tower Bible Church. And God hates homosexual behavior. Uh-huh. They're not contradictory. They're not mutually exclusive. God can love you and God can hate what you do. I, I, I know that doesn't fit, but the Bible says, oh, oh, let me read it to you. Let me read it to you. Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two. Oh, we love you. We love you. We, we love drunkards, but we hate drunkenness. We love liars, but we hate lies. We love the prideful, but we hate pride. I hate it in myself. Forget you. I hate it in me. <laughs> Revelation 2, 6, Jesus said, it's in red, so he must have said it. But this you have, talking to the church at Ephesus, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You see that there? I hate the deeds of this group of people called the Nicolaitans. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they did. But something was going down in the first century that got Jesus upset. And Jesus said, I hate their deeds. But he said to the church, but, but I give y'all credit because y'all hate their deeds too. Two things here. Again, it's okay to hate deeds. Nowhere are we called to hate people. I hope that's clear. I can love you and hate the sin. Because God loves me and hates the sin. Uh, uh, and here's another thing. Jesus says, uh, I'm rebuking y'all because you left your first love. But I give y'all credit for this. Y'all hate the deeds of these folk in the community here. How many churches are we going to find today that can love folk but hate the deeds? Because what happens is we get typecast. That if we hate the deeds, they think we hate them. So they then begin to say that we're homophobic or we're hate mongers. No, I'm not going to let you describe the narrative of who I am. I know who I am. I know what I am. I know what I do. I know how I feel. And no matter what you say, I'm not afraid of you. No matter what you say, I don't hate you. I love you enough to tell you the truth when it's appropriate. You may not like it, but that's not my job for you uh, concerning what you do with truth. But you will never say that no one ever told me. God will tell the prophets, I want you to preach to them now. Preach to Israel. Preach to the people of God. Preach to them while they're in captivity, Ezekiel. And uh, listen here now. Some of them are not going to hear the truth. A few of them will hear the truth. But guess what? Whether they listen or fail to listen, they're going to know that a prophet was up in there telling them the truth. And there are some people who know that what we're saying is right, even if they don't want to get down with it. But that's all right because people are listening. I've been getting emails. I've been getting messages from folks. Thank you, Pastor, for covering this. Thank you, Pastor, because I've been having questions in my own soul. Thank you for the way in which you've been dealing with this so graciously and kindly. So that outweighs the few that send me nasty messages. 
That outweighs the few that walk away and almost go on a boycott at Strong Tower waiting for me to finish this series, then they'll come back. We're just going to preach the word. In season, out of season, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you agree with it, whether you don't agree with it. I'll say this next week. Let's make it clear. Strong Tower Bible Church is an accepting church. We're not an affirming church. If you're looking for an affirming church, there are many around here. Go to them. But here's what I think, though. Some of you don't want to go to those churches because they fall short on social justice. They fall short on having, not having black men and black women in leadership. So, so you go to those churches and you hear what you want to hear about sexuality, but you're not hearing what you need to hear about social justice. But at Strong Tower, by the grace of God, we're going to deal with social injustice, sexual immorality, first in us and then in society. Because we answer to God, not to man. Oh, somebody ought to give Jesus a hand praise for that. And if you're mad, if you're mad, take it up with God. Don't come up to me. I got security. Don't come up to me mad. Again, don't try to change us. My God. Then in the church of Pergamos, Revelation 2.15, Jesus said, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Doctrine. Jesus said, I hate the doctrine of these folks. Again, we don't know exactly what they were doing, but Jesus said what, what they believe, I hate. Because their doctrine influences what they do. Their beliefs influences their behavior. So the Nicolaitans whose deeds he hates, it comes from doctrine, which he hates. So Jesus, the God of love, says I hate their deeds and I hate their doctrine. And if the Holy Spirit is conforming me and us into the image of Jesus, we shouldn't be afraid to say I love you, but I hate your deeds. I love you, but I hate your doctrine. I hope we're growing in Jesus. Oh, it's not popular. Mm. But I love how Jesus, when he talks to the church of Pergamos, he says, I hate their deeds. But the next verse in verse 16 says, repent. I'm giving you another chance. Repent. Change your mind. Change how you think. Change what you believe because it will change what you do. Well, as I conclude, is homosexual behavior abominable or acceptable? According to God, it's abominable. It's supposed to be abominable. To God's people. Doesn't mean we hate people. We love people. But we do not agree. We do not condone. And we do not condemn them. But we cannot uh, 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 agree with it to the point of affirming it. No, no, no. We, we agree that it's real. We agree that we all have issues inside and proclivities that play out in different ways. But we're not going to say, God made me like this. No, in past sermons, sin made me like this. And with counsel, with therapy, with Jesus, with prayer, with time, I'm going to grow and be who God wants me to be and who he says I am. So please, 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 to the members of Strong Tower, don't make this a hill to die on. Don't elevate this. Don't make this a hill to die. It's important, but don't make it a hill to die on. The only hill I'm going to die on 
is the hill that Jesus already died on 2,000 years ago. He died on Calvary's mountain in order to save the world from sin. I'll die over that. If you say Jesus ain't the Messiah, I'm willing to die for that. If you say that Jesus is not the Son of God and that his blood purchased us and covers all of our sin and that he rose again from the third, on the third day, if you disagree with that, then I'm in disagreement with you and I'm willing to die for that. But I'm not dying for this other stuff. Because watch this, people do not go to hell because they are homosexuals. Any more than people go to heaven because they're heterosexuals. People go to hell because they refuse to repent. People go to heaven because they repent and receive Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? People don't go to hell because they're homosexual any more than people go to heaven because they're heterosexual. People go to hell because they reject Jesus, whether they're heterosexual or homosexual, Baptist, Methodist, Republican, Democrat. If you don't repent and come to Jesus, you're going to hell. And the ones who go to heaven are homosexuals who repent, adulterers who repent, liars people who lust, those of us who steal, we, when we repent and come to Jesus, that's why we go to heaven. So don't elevate this and make more out of it than what it is. Give you these takeaways. Number one, determine not to call any behavior acceptable that God calls abominable. Now to do that takes courage, but be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Number two, realize that you can love people and not agree with their lifestyle. Number three, rely on the scriptures to form your views on sexuality. Stop relying on the culture, relationships, desires, and even experiences to teach you things about sexuality that contradict the Bible. Refuse to bend the scriptures to accommodate people who refuse to bend their will to God. We're asking God to change. We're asking the church to change. But we're not asking people to change. And finally, no matter your struggle, no matter what it is, repent. That's why prostitutes are in heaven ahead of the religious folk from last week. Because prostitutes had enough sense to repent. Repent, come to God, thirst for him, and be satisfied in him. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14 through 17 says, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So the church that's inside the gates of the city Saved by grace, and there's proof in how they've lived. Man, they're in the gates. Then there are folks outside the gates. And Jesus says, I'm coming, and 
the spirit that's in the church that makes us his bride. We're saying, come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. But then Jesus also invites us to come to him and get the living water. So, so Lord, come to us. And Jesus said, until I come, I want y'all to come to me. Because if you're thirsty, come on. If you have desires for me, come on and take this water freely. It's about intimacy. I want you, Jesus. I got desires in me that are contrary to you, but Lord, the spirit is in me and he wants what you want. And so I'm submitting to him and I'm coming to you. I desire you more than I desire immorality. I desire you more than I desire homosexuality. I desire you more than the desire to be right. I desire you. I must decrease. You must increase. I'm coming to you and I'm drinking from you the living water because in John chapter 4, that was a sinful lady who had five husbands and a living boyfriend. And Jesus told her, uh, when you drink of the living water, you'll never thirst again. She drank of the water, which is him. By faith, she trusted him and her life was changed and her immorality was swallowed up in her new position and identity in Jesus Christ. And he didn't give her any rules to follow because he knew that his love, his mercy, and his grace were the only laws that she needed. Stand with me, Strong Tower. And let's pray. He is the heir that I breathe and that I need. Lord, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, but thank you, Lord, for being the heir when I have desires that are wayward, I thank you, Lord God, that you satisfy me when my flesh, which can't be quenched, is trying to satisfy itself. Father, here we are. We're not playing church. I know we said earlier that we just don't come to church. We want to have church. But Lord, we, we don't want to play church either. That means we're going to talk about stuff that we need to talk about. We need to set some doctrinal things straight because the devil is a liar and the author of confusion. He was a liar from the beginning. He's a liar today. And the only way we can resist him is standing strong in the word of God, which is the truth of God. Lord, we don't know all the Bible, but Lord, let us with the, the stuff we know, the parts we know, to stand without buckling, without giving in to the culture. You said we're in this place, but we're not of it. Our, our citizenship is from above. Help us to think like the children of the king that we are. Forgive us, oh God, for the times where we've leaned on our own understanding. We followed the God, small g, of this world and all of his philosophies. We believe lies, but God, we repent today. We turn. And rather than grabbing the latest book, we grab the Bible. Rather than listening to or reading the latest author, Lord, we want to make sure we read you, the author and the finisher of our faith. We want to read your word and we want to stand on it and not apologize for it. Put that fire in us, oh God. Because what the enemy never tells us is that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of compromise can lead to death. We don't wake up one day all the way over there. We get all the way over there because we take small incremental steps every day away from you and away from your truth, away from your love. And we're trying to satisfy ourselves in something and in others that cannot satisfy us. 
Lord, sex is beautiful, but sex is not life. When we're in heaven, there will be no sex. We're going to be satisfied being with you. So Lord, may we not believe the law that if we don't have relations, oh, we're missing out on life. Lord, that's a lie. If we don't have you, we're missing out on life. Lord, I pray that you fill this church with boldness, with love, with your word, with action, so that anyone who comes in this building can be ministered to by anybody in this building. They don't all have to come to the pastor. No, Lord, we're some folk that found the bread of life and we can tell you, we can share our testimony. We can tell you what we struggle with and maybe still struggle with. We can be honest and broken with people coming in looking for life because the solution is not in us. The solution is in you. You be the strong tower in this house. So God, we're asking that as we leave this place, but never from your presence, that we'll think on these things. That we'll go home like the Berean believers and say, let me check out what pastor's saying as opposed to just getting mad and leaving the church. As opposed to getting mad and not coming to church. Let me look at the Bible and let me compare scripture with scripture. And Lord, teach me your will. Father, have your way. Protect our children as they go to school. As they're learning and seeing so much before any of us in this room who are adults ever saw at their ages. May we be merciful towards our kids. May they know that no matter what they do, we love them. Nothing's going to change the fact that we love them. And we love them enough to get them help. We love them enough to disciple them and share the word and pray with them and over them. We love our children. And we're going to fight for our children. Strengthen those of us, Lord, who are tired, who are weary, because the world keeps coming like a hurricane. But Lord, be our strength, be our provider, be our sustenance, and do what we cannot do. You're going to have us do our part, but God, there's stuff you can do that only you can do. We're going to step back and say, God, you be God. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. And all of God's people said, amen. I know it was fall break, but there is still a few of us up in here. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. If you want to join this church, come up and holler at me. I got a piece of paper I want you to fill out and leave with us if you want to join this church. Have a great day and pray for the Titans. Amen.